This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. All too often, the question asking itself is relegated to this moment that we call discovery in the sales conversation. Then you move into your demo and it's like all about you, your features, your capabilities, your functionality, and all curiosity, all effective questions go out the window. And that's where unbeknownst to you as a seller, your deal starts to go dark and your prospect starts to check their emails. So, you know, but the reason that we focus on curiosity and, and listening in the early part of the curriculum is because so much of the cohort and the practice that we do later on is focused on making sure that the entire consultative sales conversation really is a dialogue fueled by effective questions that is consistently allowing your prospect to shift their perspective and think deeply and, and think differently. So, you know, very tactically, Brian, once we move on from these soft skills, we are helping sellers tee up more effective questions in their demos make sure that they are relating, as you called out, tying back what they're about to show back to what they learned in discovery in service of creating a richer, more engaged conversation. And if you haven't practiced how to do that, it is so much easier as a seller to just kind of rest easy and rely on your slides and everything you know about your functions and capability really at the expense of your prospects experience and the expense of, of your deal and your selling, right? So those okay. are vital skills that we practice. All right. So let me, let me ask you this again at the risk of making you angry, but here we go. Um, nothing new under the sun. We're talking active listening. We're talking um, human interpersonal skills. We're talking about role plays, putting them into uh, adult learning type sessions. So I guess I'm still wondering from all of this, all right, so what? Nothing new under the sun. Why, how are you getting change? How are you getting these people to change? Because here's the deal. Uh, you, we call them paid hostages, right? They pay to be a hostage in your training oftentimes is what, what this is. Or I don't want to change. Or I don't like this hooey-gooey, happy, touchy-feely stuff. I'm, that's not who I am. How are you getting those people to take this change and change their behavior? John, can I just take this for a moment? I have so many thoughts on this. And then I know that you will as well. So one, I'm not angry. I'm like, so, so glad that, that you asked the question. Um, first of all, Brian, you know, unlike most sales training where sales leaders come in and they pay a sales training company and a lot of sellers sit with their arms crossed and they don't want to be there and they're checking their phones and not participating. The practice lab really specifically vets participants for the qualities that make for the best practicers. These are people who are growth-minded, who are curious, who are wanting to get, to get vulnerable and bump up against their own abilities, uh, fail all in service of mastery. So who well, hold on, hold comes on. in? So yeah. I'm the sales leader and I'm going to say, well, I'm only going to let the growth-minded people who want to, uh, who want to grow into the training, the rest of you schleps, I'm going to just let you go. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So well, here's that, so some the, competition. <laughs> so right now we're not, we're not really selling the practice lab internally to teams. It's for hand raising individuals and sales mm -hmm. leaders will make recommendations that specific team members join. But right now, and I can't, I'm, I can't imagine a time this is going to change because the caliber of your practice partner is so vital to the experience. If you've got an arms crossed, bad attitude practice partner, your practice will be less effective for it. And we can build the most incredible curriculum and teach the most amazing skills 
but the, the, the caliber of the experience and the growth happens in community with your peers. So I'm so, okay. Yeah. I'm okay with this, but really what you're saying is the way that we found that we can help people change is we find people that want to change to begin with. Well, so that, that is the first most, I would say probably the most important ingredient, but Jonathan, do you want to speak about the three phases of behavioral change that really ground the program, this cohort? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, the, the truth is, Brian, right, even though we're focusing on the folks who are you know, most aligned, most hungry to change, most open-minded, truth is those folks have been hungry to change, open-minded for a long time, um, mm -hmm. and they still haven't changed their behaviors. And most of those folks who come our cohort are the type who are avidly listening to podcasts and sales books because they want to up-level their skills. And the only way they know how is through more learning. But what they all inevitably find is that you can logically understand a concept. Come game time, you got a real conversation, pressure's on. And your mind just blanks and you're like, uh, what was that thing Jeb Blunt was talking about? Oh, shoot, I can't remember. I'll just do what I normally do, right? So in order to affect real behavior change, we find that it happens in three basic phases, right? First is the learn phase where you do have to understand the behavior, why it's effective and what it sounds like when it's done right. And, you know, you can get to learn anywhere, right? Um, we do some, you know, teaching in our program, although truthfully, that's a very small part of the program, right? Each, uh, each week, there's usually like a 10-minute lab prep video people watch just to introduce them to a concept. And then that's it, 10 minutes a week. That's all the like learning you do. Because we find that, to your point, there is nothing new under the sun. What we're teaching here generally isn't rocket science. It's just a slightly new angle, a slightly new approach. Oftentimes, it's making combinations people don't normally make of like skills you usually use in other areas of your life that we bring into selling that you don't usually bring into the sales context. But truthfully, we're not teaching rocket science here. So there's usually like a 10-minute lab prep video. Then the second phase of behavior change is practice. Your very first few awkward stumbly attempts to take what you learned and put it in the real world. And if you're practicing on prospects, either A, the prospect or the practice just will never happen because again, you'll have really strong alarm bells in your brain saying, don't do that, don't try that, we don't feel confident. So it won't happen at all. Or possibly even worse, you will try it, you'll stumble, you'll fail, it'll be awkward, it'll be a mess, you'll ruin that relationship and that deal goes south. Um, so the practice piece is what happens inside of lab, right? For an hour a week, people get this safe space with like-minded individuals and they get a chance to get those first few awkward stumbly steps in where they aren't quite sure what they're saying and they mess it up. And by the end of lab, they get to a basic level of, you know, proficiency um, with the behavior. And the third phase of behavior learning or behavior change is, of course, to actually implement it, right? To actually do what you just practiced in the real world. And our program also provides support for that piece too, right? Where people have, you know, a workbook that they work with that kind of supports them in their first few attempts. Um, we even have like these demo cheat sheets people can develop where they can have it kind of pulled up on the side during their demo in case they start getting, you know, a little bit, a uh, little bit lost. Um, we have an attempt log for people to log how their experiences and how it went, make notes for themselves about how to make it better. We have a community where people actually have, there's a dedicated Slack channel for people to share clips of them trying these behaviors on for size so they can get feedback from their peers on what went well and what didn't go well. But by taking people from the learn phase to the practice phase to the first steps of actually doing and implementing, we find that these people who started off pretty hungry are able to implement behaviors in a way they never have before, right? And that's the funnest part of this. People saying, hey, I just had a sales call and I did A, B, and C, right? And not only is it great to see their behavior change, that is probably, you know, the, the most difficult thing to do in sales training, but we're also finding there's even just benefit in having the awareness. You know, a lot of salespeople say in the past, they'd get off a sales call and they'd be like, I don't know how that went. Or they'd be like, ooh, that didn't feel good, but I have no idea why it didn't feel good. Now they have awareness around their behaviors and how their behaviors impact things. And they can tell you, hey, this part of it went well. I did really good listening. However, the question formulation wasn't the best. 
or maybe they'll say at the beginning of the call, I was very curious. I was asking great questions. Towards the end of the call, I got sucked into just general pitching and dumping and stuff like that. And I missed some of the key behaviors. So they have awareness around their their performance that they don't normally have, which again, if you look at any other performance-based discipline, that's a huge part of how the best become the best is they have this awareness. Every repetition, they can tell you what went well, what didn't go well, what they need to improve. So that was a long-winded answer. Jordan, did I miss anything? Well, I was just going to say this awareness piece is so important, Brian, because so often in role plays and even in like game tape reviews with managers, you were looking at the whole call. You're just looking at like selling and then your manager fires off like 10 pieces of feedback all related to different parts of the call. And then you're just supposed to take those 10 pieces of feedback and then like somehow change all of them. But the difference here is that in the practice piece, because we spend one week on one specific skill, one moment in the selling conversation, that's where sellers develop the awareness, right? Get the at-bats at that moment that they can then take in their sales conversation and then do the breakdown. As Jonathan said, I did this really well, but my question T-ups really sucked, right? Or I found myself feeling curious, but when it came to that objection, I just immediately rebutted it and didn't go through the framework that we teach around expressing gratitude and getting curious, right?